Authors Over 50, Writing in Life's Sweetest Third. Authors Over 50's weekly podcast celebrates writers and their journeys to publication. Writing after 50 is a whole story on its own, so let's skip to Life's Sweetest Third and talk with authors about their journey from pen to publish. Welcome, I'm Julia Daly, your host, and I invite you to listen to interviews with writers who've achieved their goal of publishing a book just later in life. We've seen award lists for under 30 or under 40, but I've yet to see lists for those who've achieved a significant milestone of their own, launching a new career and publishing their first book after the age of 50. We will hear about these authors' inspirations, struggles, strategies, and the smell of that first book. These writers' journeys inspire me because I'm one of them. My guest today is an award-winning writer whose debut novel, Sweet Jane, was released in 2020. The novel was named the winner in adult fiction at the Texas Author Project and shortlisted for the Sarton Award and Eric Hoffer Award, among others. A retired registered nurse with experience in both the cold clinical operating room and the emotionally fraught world of psychiatric hospitals, she lives and writes on a small ranch in the Texas Hill Country. Just One Look is her second published novel, and her prize-winning short fiction and poetry have appeared in anthologies. She writes fiction about complicated 20th century women who eventually figure it out. Her novels are set in the 60s and 70s. Her work in progress, I'll Be Seeing You, features characters from her first novel, Sweet Jane. Welcome to Authors Over 50, Joanne Easley. Thank you so much, Julia. It's a pleasure to be here. Joanne, our first question on authors over 50 is always, what took you so long to write your first book? Well, life got in the way is what I have to say. I started writing seriously when I was in my 20s, and I went to a lot of conferences, took classes and workshops, and belonged to writing groups. But something always interfered. Um, Cross-country moves, having children, Um, getting divorced, starting a new career, all those things. And uh, when I started writing, everything had to be packed up in a box and put away to be taken out after I moved, because those were in the days before computers. I was, you know, writing on an electric typewriter at that time. So even though I completed a novel in the 90s, I never really did anything with it. And uh, as Sweet Jane came out in 2020 when I was uh, quite north of 50, but uh, <laughs> I was just glad to get it done. It, it's always been an ambition of mine. And 2020 was, we were right in the throes of COVID. So how did you proceed once you knew you had <laughs> to write the book? Well, I had about a, two dozen events scheduled, in-person events. And the book was actually released the week the lockdowns came. I was lucky enough that I was able to do two in-person events before the lockdown. So I got a little taste of what it could be like. And I I loved it. I loved going out and meeting people and talking about my writing. And so it was quite a disappointment as week after week, the restrictions were extended. 
and we weren't able to get back to life. Um, so I had to learn more computer skills. I had to learn how to get online and do live uh, events on, on different uh, Facebook pages and uh, how to use Zoom and so forth. Uh, a big learning curve that I certainly wasn't expecting, but we came out the other side and now we're doing events again, which is wonderful. It really is nice to meet in person and to talk to your readers. It's very fulfilling. Tell us about your publishing journey. Did you search for an agent? Did you decide to choose a hybrid, a small press, or did you self-publish? Uh, I looked for an agent for a year and that was, um, a lot of research, you research every single agent and you tailor make your submission to them exactly as you, as they require. And many of them don't even answer you. Uh, they just merely say, if you don't hear from us, it's a no. Um, after you've taken all that time, I, if you go with an agent, there's no guarantee they'll even sell your work. And it could take years to get published. And being in the over 50 crowd, I didn't want to wait. So I gave up on that and I did um, a search on small presses and I sent out queries to them. And in a month I had interest from four. Wow. And let me tell you, I needed that validation at that time because it had been a year of sadness and rejection. I didn't waste that year though, because I wrote my second novel during that time, which was the, the good thing that came out of that. But um, I chose uh, my small press and I have two books with them. Well, what challenges have you found with the small press and especially publicity? You know, a lot of our writers um, don't like the marketing or the publicity, putting ourselves out there. Have you found anything that really, truly worked for you or things that you would tell us to steer clear of? Well, I didn't really care for social media and I had, and I read the advice, you must have a social media presence. So I set about creating one even before my book was published. And I, I'm on Twitter, which I don't think is the best for writers, but I, I do it anyway, because it's so big. I'm on uh, Instagram and uh, Facebook. I have a writer's page on Facebook. I have a, a website that I made. It's not elegant. I did it myself, which is, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually a bit of a Luddite. I don't really care for technology. I Show it to me. Let me figure out how to work it, but it better work <laughs> because if there are glitches in it, I, I quickly lose my patience. But I... Um, I've done a book blog tour for my second novel on Instagram that I did not do for my first novel. And I think that gives you a little bit of a, a push and an impetus as you're getting going with a release. I had a small launch group that helped me publicize the book before it came out. And uh, I do a lot of Facebook groups where I do an author takeover and uh, give away a book and interact with the uh, audience for a couple hours. I do live readings, which everyone seems to like the live readings. 
they, they enjoy that. I read with emotion. <laughs> and uh, then you, you'll give away a book and quite often they will post a picture of the book and thank you and post a review, which is very nice. Well, I love that you used song titles for the books. What was your inspiration for your books? Do, do the titles tie to characters or themes in the book? Well, the main character in Sweet Jane is Jane. And the song Sweet Jane has had several versions. I love the original Velvet Underground version. And so did Jane. <laughs> uh, the Mock the Hoople version came out uh, a little bit later, but it was too much of a pop beat for Jane. I don't think Jane would have liked that version anyway. Uh, Just One Look features the 1963 Doris Troy version of Just One Look and the Linda Ronstadt version in 1979 of, of Just One Look. The story is encompassed, you know, like bookended by that song. How, how do you determine the plots of your book? How do you get the ideas? Well, for Jane, I was at a, a writing group that used to meet at Mother's Cafe in Austin. It's no longer there. On Saturday morning, we just get together. Nobody knew anybody. We'd pass out writing prompts. And the prompt was, she didn't get that far. And I just pictured this young girl standing at the side of the road with her thumb out, hitchhiking away from a broken home, an unhappy life. And that was the seed that, that grew into Sweet Jane. I always, my work is, is character driven. I develop the character first. I know everything about her, everything about her family. And from there, I, I think of situations. With Sweet Jane, I decided that funerals played a huge part in her life. And I start the book in 1957 in Odessa, Texas, when she's only six years old. And, she, and we meet all the people that, that figure in her life, her childhood and her teenage years. And then I, those, the chapters that are told in the past are in first person. The, per, the current story time is 1984. And I tell that in third person close to get a little distance from Jane because she has never looked at her past, resolved her past or dealt with it in any way. She left home when she was 16 and she never went back until her mother died. And she didn't want to go back, but for her father's sake, she did. She returns for the funeral. So the chapters alternate when she's six, when she learns of her mother's death in 1984. Then we see her when she's 11. Then we go back to the funeral. Then we see her when she's 16 and learn about her leaving home. And there's like two emotional journeys in the book. Her journey as a child and teenager and young woman, and then the journey that she undertakes to resolve things. In the current story time, she's married, she's in graduate school, she looks really good on paper, but uh, she has kept her entire past from her husband. She's never let him know anything about her past. And uh, she leaves him at home when she goes back for the funeral and uh, he's not real happy about it. So she has a lot of decisions to make and, and a lot of, uh, of her past to explore. And she does that. And then in the chapters in the current story time, we meet all the characters that we met in the, the first chapter. So it's, it's, um, 
it comes full circle and she comes to a lot of decisions and, and realizations about her family and her life. Well, why don't you read us a few paragraphs so that we can hear your tone and voice in the book? This is uh, in the chapter when she's 16 years old. When I got off the school bus the next Monday, the schoolyard was chaos. Kids were milling around and the noise level was high. The cheerleader types ran from one group to another. There was excited chatter everywhere and no one was making a move to go inside. Something was up, but I was sure it was the usual inane social gossip. I wondered who broke up with whom or what lucky girl got a promise ring over the weekend. Oh, the drama. I headed to the door and was accosted by Priscilla Hampton and Agnes Jones, the popular girls, the ones who never gave me the time of day except to ridicule me ever since the first grade. What was this new alternate reality? A radical event of some sort had flipped the earth on its axis. Priscilla was positively breathless. Isn't it awful? Her heavily mascara eyes were popping out of their sockets. I can't believe it. Alex Agnes fluttered her eyelashes. She was almost panting. She glanced at Priscilla for approval. Her eagerness to please reminded me of a little terrier looking with adoring eyes at her mistress. All the excitement and spectacle were wasted on me. What are y'all going on about? I didn't even try to hide my distaste. Travis is just devastated. Priscilla shook her head and put her wrist to her forehead. Travis's daddy is so mad. Priscilla or Agnes yapped. I looked at the two of them and made my face go blank, not giving them anything. Travis's daddy's mad about what? Priscilla gasped and raised a magenta-tipped index finger to her chin, and there was no other word for it, simpered. You don't know. I really didn't want to deal with her drama queen routine. No what? You live so far out of town. I've heard that my whole life. Priscilla dropped her solicitous act and snarled. If you'll let me finish, she immediately reverted to her sweeter than sugar tone. You didn't hear the sirens. Her concerned expression was utterly fake. Agnes put her hand on my arm and I recoiled. She didn't let go, just walked me to the side of the wide stairs at the school entrance. You better sit down. I shrugged away from Agnes's death grip. Spit it out. Lou Beth. Priscilla paused theatrically. Lou Beth is dead. She killed herself Saturday night. Drove Travis's Corvette right through that big display window at his daddy's Chevy dealership. Flew right through the windshield. Can you imagine? I remained standing, but I don't know how. My mouth fell open and my eyes stung. I felt separate from my body. It couldn't be true. Priscilla and Agnes exchanged smug, satisfied looks. It took all my strength not to slap their self-important faces. My arm stayed at my side, but my hand twitched. They were just so delighted to give me the news. They could never understand why Lubeth chose to be friends with me, Miss Poor Little White Trash. They didn't know me but probably thought they did. Everyone knew my mother drank, and for some unknown reason, my daddy still hung his hat out in the sticks when he wasn't in the oil fields. I had such clarity at that moment. The sun glinted off the flagpole, the trees pulsated with green, and the sky was deep, clear azure with two puffy cartoon clouds. I could see every pore in Priscilla's face as she applied another coat of lip gloss. 
Agnes's yellow homeroom folder was covered with her spidey, spidery cursive script, Mrs. John Benson, Mrs. John Benson, Mrs. John Benson. I stood there motionless. They picked up their purses, patted their Jackie Kennedy hair, and backed away from me like I was a rabid dog. Well, class is about to start. I heard them giggling, giggling as they went through the big doors. There was no way I was setting foot in Odessa High. Not today and maybe not ever again. That's very captivating. It makes us want to, to know more for sure. Do real people inspire any of your characters? Not really. Um, I think that my characters are, you know, have different traits from people I've known and characteristics and uh, maybe even physical descriptions, but they're not any one particular person that's been fictionalized. Joanne, do you have a certain writing routine? You're so busy. Are you a morning person or night person? When do, when do you get your writing completed? I write whenever I can <laughs> and when the muse cooperates. In the morning, I have a lot of, uh, of things to do. I have three little dogs that require a lot of care. And I, I go and I swim three times a week. And that's a 50 mile round trip to, to go to a pool. So that's a chunk of time. But um, I sometimes write in the morning. I sometimes write in the evening. It just all depends. We're, we're told that probably 2,000 books a day are published in the U.S., a, a million books a year. There's so many books. How can we possibly make ours different enough or intriguing enough to, to make people want to read our books? Well, I think a lot of it is a matter of publicity. Unless you have thousands and thousands of dollars to hire a top-level publicist, it's really on, on you to, to get the, the word out about your book. The, the best advice is write a good book. Write a book that tells a story that is, is timeless and can endure. I don't write things that are like of the moment. I don't like, um, there, there's a lot of fiction out there uh, that's very shallow, that just encompasses an event or a very short period of time. And I don't find that they're very deep or have much character development or um, anything that's enduring. Uh, like there's a whole bunch of books out about wine. So there's, there's different trends like that. For a while, there was a trend of um, the girl this, the girl that in the book title. And I don't go with any of those of the moment trends. I, I just don't believe in them. I, I think that if you write a book, people should be able to pick it up and uh, 10 years from now, and it would still be a good story about the human condition, basically. Well, I know that you are involved in several writing communities and critique groups. Tell us how those work and how you give back to your, your community. Well, I... Um, before the lockdowns, I belonged to the San Antonio Writers Guild and they met every Saturday at a cafe. And uh, there was a list of people to be read. So it could be read 10 pages at a time. And my entire novel, Sweet Jane, was read there over a period of a couple of years. And I, they're valuable input. Uh, they, they no longer meet in person. So 
that that's gone. But in Kerrville, uh, they have the Kerrville's Writers Association. It's been around since the 80s. And the membership waxes and wanes. Sometimes there's only two or three people. Other times there's nine or 10 people. It's, it's just really up and down. And um, we meet there on a, a Tuesday afternoon. And uh, I inherited the group. Uh, another woman started it, but then she moved and she asked me to take it over. So I did. So I feel like I'm, I'm doing a little something for the community by doing that. And I, it's very important to be critiqued, to have your pages looked at by people. And you, you learn to separate the wheat from the chaff. You learn which um, comments are spot on. You, they can see things in your work that you can't see and you can see things in their work that they can't see. So it's a give and take and it's a positive experience. I always, we always try to start out with something positive about the work. And then we're very, very interested in learning what doesn't work. Are there plot holes? Are the characters consistent? How is the dialogue? We look at all those things and uh, I just couldn't do without my writing groups. They're, they're very important to me. Well, if you're reading that many manuscripts, do you still make time to, to read books and novels? What, what genres do you read if you have time to do so? Well, I'm reading a lot of women's fiction. Uh, I also, when I need a break from that, I'll read uh, like a, a thriller. I like uh, dystopian fiction because <laughs> we're in a bit of a dystopia right now. And I just, I just want a story to take me away from everything. So I, um, I like um, Lee Child. He has Jack Reacher, which is totally opposite of anything that I, I write. But there's a character and there's a plot and it's fast paced and moving. And you can just get into that and, and clear your mind of anything else. So I, I read lots of weird stuff. <laughs> right now, I'm... I was captivated by the title of this book. It's called Searching for Jimmy Page. And I love Led Zeppelin and Jimmy Page. And the title just really um, impressed me. And I, I, um, I looked into the book and it's a debut author from, uh, I think the University of Alabama at Livingston Press uh, published the book. And I've only just started it but it's the story of a girl searching for some mysteries in her past. So that's right up my alley too. So I'm, I'm reading that. And I'm also reading some of the books from the Pulpwood Queens, which you and I are both Pulpwood Queen authors. Um, right now I'm finishing up Alice Early's book and your book is next. <laughs> I have it and I'm going to start it very, very soon. And you were kind enough to autograph it for me when I saw you in an event last month. Well, I feel the same way about you and your books. And I've been told that as writers, if we would take a book that we really, really love and outline it, go through and, and see what points worked and what points didn't, what kept us in the story and what threw us out, that we would learn a lot for our own uh, benefit. So I think that's an interesting concept if we can make the time to sit down and outline someone else's work. 
Yeah, that it probably would, but I probably wouldn't do that. <laughs> I I would read the book and get what I could from it. I'm finding as I've been a writer um, and the more I've written, the more critical I am of books. And if I find something in there that um, is an error or something, it just, it just stops me cold. And I try very, very hard to edit my manuscript to near perfection. I think it's, it's really important. I had um, a book club at a library uh, in Hondo, Texas. And the audience of the book club, they were all teachers or librarians. And they told me that they couldn't find any mistakes in my book. That was sweet Jane. And I was thrilled to hear that because I, I worked long and hard on that. Um, I've read manuscripts for my small publisher and some of the things that people send in are, are shocking. Uh, if you're going with a small publisher, you better have your book edited to the nth degree. They don't have the resources to do developmental editing, line editing, anything. So you really should have a good product if you're going to put it out in front of people and ask them to publish it. Well, I've even seen some of the big five published books that had typos, and I just couldn't believe that the manuscript had gone through that many people and that those many eyes and still there was a typo in the, in the book. So um, I like to listen to audio books now because I'm, I can get more pleasure out of that. I'm like you, if I start reading a book, I start picking it apart um, and like an editor instead of a reader. So I think writing our own books has kind of spoiled us for, for reading for pleasure. I think it has, if we're reading in our own genre, especially, but that's why I go with the uh, thrillers because <laughs> I'm not going to pass judgment and, and worry about any flaws in, in that kind of reading. I need something just to, you know, take me away <laughs> and I'm not going to worry too much about that. But I, I find that I'm, you know, I can't help it. I, I, I just see these things and it really bothers me. Um, well, Joanne, our writers over 50 are you, a unique group. Do you have any advice for writers 50 and above? I would say if you're 50 and above, don't waste your time trying to find an agent. Uh, find a small press or self-publish. Uh, so many books are out there. Uh, write a good product write a good book, be open to having your work critiqued before you send it out. Make sure it's very well edited and don't give up. If you really believe in your writing and you have a good story, get it out there, whether it's with a small press or with, uh, with uh, self-publishing. I think that's great advice and a great place for us to end our chat on today. We Thank you so much for being with us on Authors Over 50. Thank you, Julia. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. Please look for Authors Over 50 every Thursday when we will have conversations with accomplished debut novelists over the age of 50. Please subscribe and share with a friend. 
And check out my own publication journey after 50 at www.juliadaily, that's D-A-I-L-Y, like dailynewspaper.com. Until next time, keep reading and writing. And remember, it's never too late to fulfill a dream in life's sweetest third.